everyone. You're listening to Health Affairs This Week. Thanks for joining us. I'm Leslie Erdelak. And I'm Ellen Bayer. Before we get into the episode today, I wanted to let folks know about a new series of events that Health Affairs is launching for the fall. We're really excited to tell you about it. We have a professional development seminar later this month and also a lunch and learn with Katie Heath. It's all part of a larger event series that we're rolling out here at Health Affairs. So for more details about these events, check out today's show notes. Well, Leslie, here we are in mid-September, wondering where the summer went. Kids are back in school, fall schedules in full swing, and Labor Day, even though it was only like a week and a half ago, already feels like a distant memory. With all the news about the Delta variant making employers think about whether and how they should send remote workers back in the office, I've been thinking about workplace health and safety a lot in the last few weeks. Then last Thursday, September 9th, the White House came out with what is probably the biggest, most far-reaching piece of workplace health and safety policy in recent memory. I'm talking, of course, about the new federal rules that will require all employers, including those in the private sector with 100 or more employees, to ensure that their workers are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or have weekly testing. Employers also have to give workers paid time off to get the shots and recover at home after being vaccinated if they need to. Employers who don't comply with the new mandate could have to pay up to $14,000 per violation. So this is major news that would affect over 80 million workers in the private sector. Yeah, it's big news. And, you know, it comes as part of that six-point national strategy that President Biden laid out, really doubling down on vaccines, testing, masking, all of those things. But a major component of that plan, of course, hinges on using the government's regulatory powers to increase the number of workers covered by vaccination requirements. And a lot of companies, if you think about airlines, banks, big retailers, they'd already decided to implement vaccine mandates for employees, but this takes it to a whole new level and private businesses and unions have been reacting to the announcement over the past week or so. You had a big trade association that represents some heavy hitters in the consumer goods industry like Coca-Cola, sending a letter earlier in the week to the White House asking for more clarification. So there are just a lot of questions, Ellen, as we sit here today about how we operationalize this. And we're recording this episode on September 15th and later this afternoon, The president is scheduled to meet with executives from Disney, Microsoft, and Walgreens, companies that already have vaccine requirements, to sort of send the signal that, hey, look, it's time for more businesses to step up. And so while some of the news outlets have characterized these mandates as a surprise, I think you had to assume this is kind of where we were headed, in part because the Biden administration already put a similar ultimatum on the table for federal employees. Yes, as a matter of fact, um, back in July, the president announced that all federal employees and on-site contractors would have to attest to their vaccine status, and those that didn't indicate that they're fully vaccinated against COVID would have to be tested regularly, wear masks, physically distance, and have their official travel restricted. But the new policy announced last week would take that a step further. The new executive order requires all federal executive branch workers and federal contractors to be vaccinated within 75 days. And those who refuse could be subject to disciplinary action. And the administration is going even beyond that into the health and education space where they also have leverage. CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, is requiring COVID vaccines for healthcare workers in the thousands of facilities around the country, around 50,000. 
that take Medicare and Medicaid. This includes hospitals, dialysis facilities, ambulatory surgical settings, nursing homes, and home health agencies. The president's plan also requires vaccines for teachers and staff at federally run education and child care programs, including Head Start and Early Head Start, as well as schools run by the Defense Department and the Bureau of Indian Education. Basically, the administration has decided that persuasion and incentives like the giveaways and lotteries we've heard about just haven't been enough to get vaccination rates up. So with the Delta variant continuing to threaten not only public health, but also the economy, White House has decided that at this point in the pandemic, even though they resisted earlier, that vaccine mandates are the way to get us out, uh, the, the path out of the pandemic, as they're calling it. Yeah. So it goes without saying that not everybody's embracing them. Several Republican governors are saying they intend to sue the administration, and Arizona was the first to file a lawsuit on Tuesday challenging the constitutionality of the mandate. Unions are also having to walk a fine line. I think a lot of businesses and employers in the private sector are welcoming this news, particularly the ones who wanted to get their workers vaccinated but were nervous about imposing their own mandates over concerns that people would quit even as we're experiencing these huge labor shortages. But moving on from what's been the main focus of our conversation, the vaccine mandates, I want to go back to something that you said at the beginning and another really critical element to workplace health and safety, I think, is paid sick leave. And access to paid sick leave is almost a given in some employment sectors like government jobs and industries with strong unions, for example. But a lot of people, fewer than 50% of low-income and part-time workers, and this includes food service and restaurant workers, don't have paid sick leave. And missing a shift or taking a day off work without pay to take care of yourself or someone in your family when you're sick forces some really untenable choices. And we know that with these new mandates, employees should be able to take paid time off if they're experiencing any side effects from the vaccine. And that's great. I think it alleviates some of that tension because inadequate paid sick leave has been talked about as kind of this potential barrier preventing workers, especially low-income workers, from getting vaccinated. But big picture, COVID has really underscored these gaps in paid sick leave, particularly for workers in restaurants, retail, and in hospitality. You know, Leslie, when you mentioned the restaurant industry, you reminded me of a paper that we published in the August issue of Health Affairs that we editors have sometimes referred to as the Olive Garden paper, because it refers to a policy change at the Olive Garden restaurant chain. And it's by Daniel Schneider, Kristen Harknett, and Elmer Vivas Portillo. It emphasizes that the lack of paid sick leave is not only a threat to workers' own individual health, but also public health. And I found the study really interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, it looked at workers who not only initially had very limited access to paid sick leave, but who also, as frontline food service workers, could be major spreaders of disease, COVID or otherwise, if they went to work sick. So the paper described how media coverage back in the spring of 2020 about lack of paid sick leave at the Olive Garden led to major changes. Um, on the same day that it was published, the restaurant chain announced that it would substantially expand paid sick leave for its workforce. So part of what the researchers looked at was whether the company's announcement of the new policy actually led to real change. And they found that, yes, after the Olive Garden changes policy, the percentage of workers reporting access to paid sick leave did increase, 
And what's particularly worth noting, I think, is that the proportion of staff reporting that they had gone to work sick, a phenomenon that's known as presenteeism, went down by 15 percentage points. Yeah. And one of the things that we were talking about, Ellen, before we recorded is just like, this sounds like common sense. If you have paid sick leave, you stay home when you're sick. Um, But what I think we can appreciate about this study is that it adds to this body of empirical research on how paid sick leave potentially reduces the spread of diseases like COVID-19. So, you know, it's really a public health benefit as much as it is a personal one. And so while I think it's encouraging, you know, we've got a long way to go in terms of making the benefits of paid sick leave available to everyone. Some states have laws that allow for paid sick leave, but the U.S. is kind of just one of those outliers among developed countries in terms of not having any uniform requirements or policies that would guarantee paid sick leave. I seem to remember there was some action on this at the federal level last year, right, Leslie? Yeah. So I'm sure, yeah, you remember in response to COVID, Congress passed the first ever federal sick leave provision with the Families First Act in March 2020. It allowed for emergency paid sick leave due to COVID-19. And it was a one-time provision. It has since expired, but there are still these tax credits out there for employers who voluntarily continue to provide paid sick leave to their employees for COVID-19-related reasons. But throughout the pandemic, some states and local jurisdictions enacted new laws or amended their existing paid sick leave laws. But the generosity of these laws definitely varies. Some are even facing legal challenges. So it's a really complicated landscape. Well, we're almost out of time, um, Leslie, but just to end on a positive note, I wanted to mention another health affairs article from our December 2020 issue. Researchers Stefan Pickler, Catherine Wen, and Nicholas Zebarth found that even the limited sick leave policy you mentioned that was enacted last year helped limit the spread of COVID while it was in effect. Compared with the control group and relative to the time period before the law was enacted, States where workers got access to paid sick leave had about 400 fewer confirmed COVID cases per day, which translated into about one prevented case per day for every 1,300 workers who got access to the leave. So clearly, the sick leave requirement, even though it was time limited, was an effective tool to help, as they say, flatten the curve of COVID last year. Yeah, we really are learning so much in real time. And I think those data points are really telling and it's important that we're able to kind of hold these policies up to the light in ways that we haven't before. Well, it seems like that's a good place to wrap up for today. Thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in. If you like this episode, we hope you'll tell a friend and subscribe to Health Affairs This Week wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Helen. See you next week. See you next week.